Well, it is a joy to be back up here um, looking out up at you and um, just uh, have enjoyed our time through Isaiah. Appreciate Matthew and uh, Steve and others that have kind of led us in this deep dive in this section of Scripture. I have, um, I've enjoyed it. It's the first time that I've been through that section of Scripture in depth like that as well. And so I hope it's been encouraging for you as well. I hope that through this, you have um, been caught up in this love story. Maybe it's not hit you that way, but it really is this love story of of God for his people um, that began way back in the garden uh, when he began to pursue his people um, who had sinned, bringing them back into this place of relationship uh, and redemption. It just takes a number of different chapters, uh, and Isaiah is a large part of that. Missy and I, back in college, had a friend that was an artist, and uh, just recently he produced his first animated uh, movie, and it's been out on the big screen and things like that. And uh, over the years preceding that, leading up to that, I would see on his Facebook, he would post these different sketches of different animated characters that he had been just kind of sketching out and and working. You couldn't really see, it was just charcoal and uh, not real detailed, but you could kind of get the picture. And now that he's got this movie out, you you recognize what he was doing. You could see these images and these these creatures that he was developing uh, from his own imagination Uh, to put on the big screen one day. That's a lot of what's happening here uh, in this passage that we're looking at here. It's what's happened back in chapter 42 that Steve preached on several weeks ago, and it's what happened in chapter 49 that Matthew hit last week. We got a glimpse, we got a sketching, if you will, of this person called the servant. And that servant, that profile, that that picture is going to be filled out a little bit more fully this week. And then in the coming weeks, as we move into the Easter season, um, you will hear more about it, and that picture will become very robust, and you will know exactly um, what uh, Isaiah is talking about. I'm going to read this text for us. It's Isaiah chapter 50. If you get a chance later today, I would encourage you to go back and pick up the preceding verses to kind of get the momentum of what happens as we jump into the middle of of what he's doing. But I'm going to read this this passage uh, for us. This is God's Word, uh, spoken through the prophet Isaiah to the people of God at that time. Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, or for transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert, 
Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth of their coverings. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him, walk, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Let's pray. Father, now as we open up this, this text and begin to look at it, we pray that you would grant us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would also give us hands to receive that which you so desire to allow to settle so deeply into our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I don't know if you've had the chance to watch the documentary that has been on the National Geographic channel um, entitled The Rescue, but it's the story of the Thai soccer team that a couple of years ago um, were out uh, and they got caught in the rain and they went into a cave and the cave began to uh, flood and they moved farther back into the cave until they got so far back that they could not get out. It really captured the, the hearts and the minds and the, the TV channels uh, for about 15 days, if I'm not mistaken. Because what had happened was they had gotten so far back into this cave that, that they could not get to them very easily. It was, it was nearly monsoon season, which means the rivers that, that converged into that cave began to fill it up, and they were moving rapidly through there. So they called in the Thai Special Forces uh, unit uh, to come in and, and, and deal with this. 
And it didn't take them long to realize that that was above any expertise that they had. And they didn't have any way of getting them. They, in fact, they could not even find and locate the children and the, and the coach. But there was one gentleman that was a part of that group and that discussion that knew about two men that, that needed to know about this opportunity or this situation. There were two men that lived in England. One was a retired fireman and one was an IT worker. And on the weekends, they would take trips all around the world and dive the most difficult caves that there were. And when word came to them about this situation, one of them remarked, this has got our name written all over it. So these two not skilled special force trained men, but rather unsuspecting, unlikely, weekend cave divers would become the heroes of this event. They described themselves as never being any good at team sports, always chosen last on the playground, and who were bullied and never fit in. Yet, they possessed a skill unlike anyone else in the world. They loved being alone in deep, dark caves. These men would fight through their own doubt and their own fears and reluctance and risk their lives and their own sanity to extract this team from this cave. You should watch the story. It's amazing. But do you catch the storyline? Stuck in a dark cave, overwhelmed with reasons that seem to go, that give, that there's no hope. And yet, some unexpected rescuers are going to deliver them safely back to their home. It's the story of God's people over and over through Scripture, isn't it? And it's the story of what we have in this passage today. These are God's people. These are the people that God said, I am going to be your God, and you're going to be my, feet, my people. I will never leave or forsake you. And regardless of your unfaithfulness, I'm going to continue to be faithful. And if you know anything about Scripture, they, they play that out to the T. And they continue. And really, nothing's really changed for God's people. Right? Three things about this passage that, that I want us to, to consider this morning. The first one is I want us to look at Israel's unfaithfulness. That's Gonna see, we're going to see that in verses 1 through 3. And then verses 4 through 9 really do a, a, a good job of giving us that sketch that I'm talking about of this servant. And I'm not going to get real deep into that because I'm going to save that to Matthew, for Matthew and, and Steve in the coming weeks. But we're going to look at that and kind of scoot across the top of that. And then verses 10 and 11, uh, and, that, and, and I guess six through, or, uh, 4 through 9 is going to be the faithful Israel. And then the last part, we're going to kind of ask ourselves, why does all this matter? So let's look at verses 1 through 3 in this passage. This really is a continuation of what starts way back in, in chapter 49, verse 15, where God begins a, a lengthy 13 sections of his response to this people 
who just can't believe that they can be loved by God. Remember, Isaiah is telling them that they're going to be in exile uh, with Babylon, and that is right after they've been um, released from exile. So they're going back in, and what looks to them like God has abandoned them is really God's discipline. And what he wants to make clear in these first three verses, and what I want us to kind of see, is he's saying to you, it's not me, it's you. (laughs) You're the one that has moved away. You're the one that has taken that step and and, and not loved me. And he gives these two uh, pictures there. He says, if you think I've divorced you, go get the certificate out of the drawer and show me. It's just, it doesn't exist. I didn't do that. Then he says, if you, th- if you think that I, I sold you off in slavery, do, do you really think that somebody could buy me out? Because <laughs> it just didn't happen. He said the real reason there at the end of verse 1 is because of your sin, because of your iniquities and transgressions. That's what's led to where you are today. In summary, he's saying, my love has not failed. My love has not grown cold. And there's no one who has power over you. You are mine. I have called you by name. But you may be undergoing some discipline right now. But you're not forgotten or abandoned. Verse 2 highlights that demonstration. They have been sinful, and they have transgressed. And he even says there, when I came to you repeatedly through the years, there was no one. And he actually says there was no man that would meet the call. There was no one that would be faithful in response to all that I've done. You kept giving me the stiff arm. Or the Heisman, maybe. God keeps extending his arms, giving and giving, and it's met with resistance. It's it's met with the same sin that started in the garden. We don't know you. We can kind of figure this out on our own. So what does he do? He says, do you think it's because I can't save you? that this is going on? Is my arm too short? Am I, am I not able to, to give you and to do what needs to be done to save you? Let me cite a couple examples from you that goes back to your forefathers when they came out during the Exodus. Did you catch the language there? The dry, dried up sea, the language of rivers in the desert, water from the rock there in Exodus 17, the fish that stink For lack of water, the plagues, when the Nile is turned to blood, or in chapter 10 of Exodus when he says he closed the, he he, he puts darkness there for Egypt, but he gives light to Israel. God is saying his love is unmatched and his power is unmatched. As God's people, when we read this and we hear these things, We need to hear that if we aren't experiencing God's power, if we're not feeling God's love, 
It's not because of his weakness or reluctance or ability. It may be a sin issue. A follow-your-own-path issue, just like the garden. The Westminster Confession of Faith, if you're familiar with that, in chapter 18, one of the things it says about our salvation is that sometimes it may be shaken, diminished, or temporarily lost. And it gives three reasons. I'll give you two right now. We'll get the third one later. It says one is because a particular sin wounds our conscience and it grieves the Spirit of God at work in our lives. The second is because of some sudden or violent temptation. I love what Johnny Erickson Tata says. She says that trials and sufferings that we experience with the Lord, Lord's discipline, are like a sheepdog nipping at our heels, chasing us back to the shepherd. Isn't that a great image? A sheepdog nipping at our heels, nudging us back to the shepherd. Israel was unfaithful, and their sin clouded and contaminated their perception and understanding and ability to see God's love and convinced them that they were beyond hope, beyond reaching. They were unloved and forgotten. So what does God do about this? That's where we move into sections 4 through 9. Because it's here that we see God hasn't given up, that he's actually going to continue to pursue them. He's going to pursue them and he's going to provide assurance. Because what do people who are sitting demoralized in the cave of despair and defeat need most? They need grace. They need hope. And so that's what he's going to give in this servant. This faithful servant who will come to keep God's promise of deliverance and make clear once and for all his love, his never stopping, never giving up, never breaking, always and forever love. Let's look at this faithful Israel. Matthew reminded us last week that back in 49.3 that this is the true Israel. The other Israel has not answered the call, right? But he is the one that's going to answer the call, so it would appear. Look at verse 4. This begins the third servant's song, and it is God as he turns up the volume of his love. He, I mean, he's cranking it up, and he is all stops, and he's going to let it go. Remember that as Isaiah is telling this to these people, they are being asked to, to take hold of some sketch and believe something that's going to take place in the future, right? So they're, they're having to use faith to believe what God is going to do. Just as we today look back on what God has done in faith. What do we observe about this servant? Well, the sovereign Lord serves this servant. He gives, he awakens, he opens he helps and he will vindicate. But what about the servant? It says the servant spoke. He was given a tongue as those who are taught. 
And that, what that literally means is he was given the mouth of a disciple. And when he spoke, his words, look at them, were able to sustain those who are weary. I'm certain that sitting out here, many of you have been the recipient of some of those words that have sustained you in times of weariness and doubt and fear. It's been fun this week to think back in the, Old Te- in the New Testament of where Jesus speaks words to sustain people in this weary journey. I think about Zacchaeus, the outcast Zacchaeus who ran ahead, climbed a tree to see Jesus, but also to be out of the sight of the people that hated him. And what does Jesus do but stops at that tree and looks up to him and says, listen, I'm going to hang out with you today. And all the other people must have said, why? But Zacchaeus, what an impact those words must have had for him. What about the bleeding woman in the crowd who wanted to be anonymous, who wanted to reach up and just touch his garment, get in and get out with a healing and be done with it. And yet, what does Jesus do but turns around and said, who touched me? Well, he knows who touched her, touched him. And he calls her out right there from her anonymity and declares to her that she has been healed. It changed her life. (laughs) But the woman at the well, when Jesus says, go tell your husband, well, right there, that opened a can of worms. (laughs) Because she didn't have one husband or two or three, but more, right? And that led to a discussion about drinking from a deeper well and satisfying the thirst that she had been looking for. To Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, but when you have turned again, you will strengthen your brothers. What a great word for Peter who was going to fail And now, who also ended up writing some other books that we draw encouragement and gives us many words for hope. What about to the disciples who had no idea, even though they'd been told multiple times, what was going to happen? He says, you're going to run away and you're going to leave me here all alone, but don't worry about me. It's going to be fine. Father's with me. I just want you to know this. I want you to know that you can actually have peace when things are going crazy. Because I have overcome the world. Words of comfort for weary people. We all need them. But that's not all. He also listened, didn't he? Verse 4, morning by morning, he found new mercies, right? God gave him ears to hear. At least 78 times we find in Scripture, in in the New Testament, Jesus quoting directly from the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, Malachi. His ability to speak the right words was preceded by a posture of listening. 
Andrew Bonar, some of you will recognize that name. He was a, a simple man who lived a quiet life as a faithful pastor in Scotland. I believe it was in the 1700s. And when his wife died unexpectedly at the age of 37, just a few days after the birth of their daughter, his life changed. He tells us that the morning of her death, that in his daily time, he read Nahum 1-7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. He would go on to write and wrestle with God as Scripture convicted him and shaped him. And he would say this, he said, I felt huge waves of sorrow, yet I also feel the profound comfort of God. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been there. It is in the morning that the servant met with his heavenly Father who gave him words to speak and has been said, not by me, but others. And when he died, he literally bled the words of God. He obeyed, he submitted, he trusted he would be vindicated. Verses 5 through 9 go on to kind of unpack that. His time spent with abiding, abiding with his father moved him to obey the one that loved him. And the one that he loved, love was his motivator for obedience. But look where that obedience leads him. It leads him down a path of suffering, submitting, and trusting. Are you familiar with that path? <laughs> Can I remind you that so often in our, in our lives when we pass through these experiences, these difficult experiences, that they are opportunities to learn obedience through what we suffer. That's what it was said of Jesus in Hebrews. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Let me try to illustrate maybe what that means a little bit. Scott Peck describes real love this way. He says, real love is not primarily a feeling, it is a commitment and a test of real love is not how you act when you feel loving or loved, but rather how do you act when you don't feel loving or loved. Anybody can be a good faithful follower of Jesus and do good things when you feel his love and presence in your life, but the real test of faith is how you act and what you do when you sense God is absent and God is silent. Jesus learned that obeying his Father led him to life. It didn't feel like it was leading to life, but it did. And God wants us to know that we can trust Him not only in the beautiful days, but also in the darkest nights. When you turn to God and He doesn't feel close, that's a truth 
that holds you. God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and allowing even those who reverence him to walk in darkness and have no light. That's the third reason that the Westminster Confession gives. Sometimes there's no reason, there's no way to understand why you are going through a particular season of darkness. Church fathers and others have written of the dark night of the soul. Some of you know about that. What we see moving into chapter, verses 10 and 11 is we see one who walked through that very dark night himself. In our passage, Isaiah continues this sketch, continues this portrait of this faithful servant, but he's contrasting it with the unfaithfulness of the people of God. This is what I'm talking about. The people of God, we saw in verse 2, fail to respond and listen to God. There was no one. There was no man, it said. But the servant of God was faithful, speaking, giving his ear to the Lord. In verse 4, the people of God were rebellious. Verse 1, the servant of God was obedient. The people of God were unconvinced of God's love. 50 verse 1 and back into 49 verses, verse 14. But the servant of God rested in the strength and the love of the sovereign Lord. The people of God suffered because of their sin. But the servant would come and suffer because of his faithfulness. Because of his obedience. The servant is the true Israel. He is the one that answered that call, that lived the life that was required to please God. Verse 10 is translated two ways by Hebrew scholars, of which I am not. But it seems right to me that the question mark that very often follows the word light in some translation should actually follow the word servant. Let me read it as I mean. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant, who has walked in darkness and has no glimmer of light? Let him, the one who fears the Lord and obeys the voice of the servant, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. What does this servant that is described as faithful, why does this servant end up suffering such cruelty? Why is this faithful servant on a dark path in a place where there is no glimmer of light to prove his love, to demonstrate his love? To show his sacrificial love to sinful people, to weak and wobbly need followers who go through dark seasons, who go through hard times, who can't explain what's going on, and they feel like they're grasping for air as they try to hold on to him. And God says, Don't worry. I've got you, and it's not about your grasp. 
us today who know the story of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, we understand that by his sufferings, we are healed. That he paid what was required to cover our debt. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, right, believeth shall be saved. Our sins must be paid for by someone. Somebody's got to satisfy that debt. In verse 11, it says you can walk by your own light. You can walk by your own path. You can do it yourself, but the result of that is very clear. You shall lie down in torment. But when we as people who have the fuller vision of this servant see that he walked willingly into the dark cave where there was no light, trusting that his Father, our God, would make things right, he was vindicated, and we benefit. The people of God were told of this faithful servant that would come and live a faithful life, and then he would willingly suffer, that he would be the one who was really cut off, not just imagine that they were cut off. He was really cut off from the love of God, his Father, as he walked into this dark quarter of time this is what Isaiah told them and this is what they are invited to believe and to trust so that they might be assured of his love while they walked in their own darkness what about us what about us sitting here on this Sunday every Sunday we gather And we are invited to look at this servant through song, through confession, through words that are spoken. To look back on this life that he lived, this death, something that they didn't have, the resurrection. The servant that walked through the deep darkness of being separated from the love of his father. He did that not so that we would never face darkness. He did that not so we would never be in dark, confusing times. He did that not because we're always going to be around people who are good folk and never make mistakes. He did that so that we would know that when we find ourselves in those places... And in those seasons, that we would know we're not alone. And that He is faithful to get us home. Just like He did His Son. I don't get to preach on the resurrection this week, but it's coming. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. That makes all the difference. That's the valid... That's the validation stamp that says it was right for him to trust the Lord 
in that dark time. Because God delivered. So let me ask you about your cave of despair and doubt. You've been there where all you can see is black and no light. We need to behold our God. Do you find yourself struggling with doubt and despair, looking for assurance and guidance in the darkness? Behold the true hero. How are you handling the uncertain future in your life? Tomorrow, next year, your death? Open your eyes and see this servant and how he handled his. What's your response when your faith is stumbling and falling and failing to know that the servant has cast his eye upon you as his child? What about when you are weary, not just from trying, but from trying and failing? Or are you tired of the shame that you've been packing around with you? Cast your eyes on Jesus the servant. Maybe you are struggling to love your roommates. Maybe you're struggling to love your spouse, your family, your neighbors, your church. Can I remind you of this simple truth? That God knows what it's like to love difficult people. He knows what it's like to, live, to love imperfect people. He knows what it's like to love people who are opposite than you. He knows just what it costs to love his bride. And to those of you, people of Clemson Prez, been a hard season. We're still in the darkness in many ways. We're waiting for the man and the family that God will bring here. Some of you are struggling. Some of you, your grip is no longer enough, and you don't know what to do. And it's been real easy to lose sight of God. And to lose sight of maybe what he's doing. And to forget his faithfulness that has been proven and extended over and over. But can I just say this morning, look to God. Meet with God. Let him whisper in your ear. Let Him be your strength. And let Him be the one who carries not just you, but us as He would the people of God and get us where He wants us to be. Let's pray.
Father, in just a minute, we're going to sing a song that declares that you are going to hold us fast. And the reality is that some here setting, some, some setting here today are just going to have a hard time believing that. So, God, like you did to your own servant, would you open our ears so that we may hear in a different way? May you open our eyes so that we may see. And God, would you give us mouths that declare praise for what you're going to do based on what you have done. In your name we pray. Amen.